Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Glamorgan Cricket Podcast from GlamorganCricket.com. My name's Peter Miller and I'll be your host. It's been a while since the last episode, for which I apologise, but since then, Glamorgan have played and lost in a quarter-final of the NatWest T20 Blast. It was a brilliant performance from Yorkshire and it was just too much for the Glamorgan team. It was a hugely disappointing loss for the club and they were very excited about the prospect of a finals day, but... A crowd of 10,000 came to watch and that was absolutely fantastic. It would be really great if that kind of crowd continues for next season's T20 Blast where hopefully Glamorgan will be pushing for a place in finals day and knockout spots once again. In the Championship since we've been away, Glamorgan have won Weller thanks to a maiden first-class ton for Owen Morgan who's impressed whenever he's been given a job to do with the bat up the order. Combined with his left-arm spin, Morgan is starting to look like a really exciting prospect. Another youngster that came into the side in recent weeks is Kieran Carlson, still just 18. He made his first class debut against Northants and started with a five wicket haul with his off spin, which was exciting to see more in the side as a batsman, but he can turn his arm over and on a pitch that was turning, he got some real purchase. That five wicket haul came in a loss, but it was yet another Glamorgan youngster that's come into the side and done well this season. The performance of those young, homegrown players has been a real highlight for the club this season. On that note, it's good to see that they've announced that contracts are going to be given to Carlson, Morgan, Jack Murphy and Lucas Carey. Hopefully, with those young men kicking around the squad and pushing for places, we can see some success for them on the field, which will be good news for the club and everybody concerned. Away from Glamorgan's games, England have played their second ODI at the SSE Swalek this summer in recent days against Pakistan. During that match, I was lucky enough to speak to Jonathan Agnew and Charles Dagnall of Test Match Special and John Etheridge of The Sun. I spoke to all of them about cricket in Cardiff, their recollections of it, and also England's prospects for the upcoming winter. Hopefully you enjoy what they have to say. They're all very interesting and well-informed men. So here they are. Delighted to be here with Test Match Specials, Jonathan Agnew. Hello, Aggers. How are you? Well, I'm very well. Nice to be back on an old stamping ground. Yes. Uh, I, used to, I used to enjoy coming here in the old days. So. Well, it's, it's changed a fair bit from when you were a player, I imagine. Yeah, well, I've been talking about it today. And, of course, it was a rather decrepit old pavilion uh, on the other side of Sapphire Gardens to what there is today. Uh, a bit bleak, if I'm honest with you. And the showers were downstairs. I don't remember that. So you had to go down from the dressing room with a little rather flimsy towel wrapped round you, uh, into this sort of uh, concrete dungeon uh, where the showers were. The umpires were in there. I think everyone was in there together, actually. It was really quite cosy. Um, so it was funny. There was a nice little cafe, I remember, on the end of it as well with some very friendly Welsh ladies in there who made the tea and so on. But it was, it was an interesting place to come because in those days, I'm going back now to you know, late 70s, 80s, um, Glamorgan was a bit of a sort of a dumping ground in a way, of sort of fading players um, would, would come down here. I think the, the club struggled a bit for identity, didn't know, quite know where it was going. And the only way it could, it could keep itself going was by having, well, those on, on the wane, really, would come down. So uh, you'd read in September that a, a player was leaving a county, being sacked, and then next thing you'd be playing against them down here. But... Yeah, I think I think a, a big step for Glamorgan was associating itself with Wales. That that, that sort of branding um, really did the, the county good. You could feel more supporters coming in. Uh, they got rid of the drain across the pitch. Well, I got bowled off there once by by A. A. Jones, the grunter. Do you remember him? Roared in, bowled about. I got some runs. I got twenty something. I think 
he roared in boulder bouncer, which I went to sort of hook, and it shot along the ground and bowled me. So um, I do remember that. I'm going to try and find that scorecard now. I'm going to look for it. <laughs> yeah, it must have been yeah mid '80s, I think. I think I got twenty something, which was yeah quite a milestone those days. Well, nowadays, obviously, we've had a couple of Ashes tests here. We've had the Champions Trophy here. Your experiences coming here as a journalist, is it somewhere you've enjoyed coming? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean it works, doesn't it? There was, that, there was always that question, and it, and it struck me again today as I drove into the ground. Uh, you know, England against Pakistan uh, here in Wales, and all the signs around in Welsh and everything else. And, I, and that was always the question, wasn't it? You know, would, would people from Wales really accept an English-branded team? Uh, easy when you've got a Welsh player or two uh, playing, of course, for, in the England side. And we know it's necessary for it to be England and Wales cricket board. I mean, it makes sense that it is, but it's a bit odd today when the only Welsh-born players are Pakistani. Um, but, yeah, it, but it does work, doesn't it? I mean, people do come, uh, whether they're locally, whether they come over the bridge uh, to come and watch. And, you know, the support for, in all the games, I think, I've seen here, uh, it's been excellent. You know, it's been, it's been vociferous, it's been fun. We've got a lot of Pakistan supporters here today, which is a good thing. I think there's been, you know, the, the crowd here tends to be noisy even when it isn't full for the 2020 games, which is always nice to see. But it's great when I've come and it's been subcontinent teams. There seems to be a huge amount of support that comes along. I mean, certainly today with the Pakistan game, there's a lot more noise. There's a lot more Pakistan's Zindabads than there are come on England. Yes, yes, and, and no horns either, I'm pleased to report. Although I hated those Vavazela horns. So whoever has seen the back of them here, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd say well done. But it is, you, know, you, want this, you want this sort of atmosphere, you know, especially for one day cricket you know, and you do have to divvy up um, you know the various types of cricket that, that, that exist and hopefully it will continue to exist I mean every time we go at test cricket at the moment um, I can't see anything wrong with that format it's just that there's so much everything else being packaged around it that's causing that's putting the pressure on, on, on test cricket but but so far I mean I've done T20s here I've done one day internationals here I've done test matches here and, and each game's gone very well nice facilities we get a lovely view from our commentary box are very spoilt and it's always a delight when the ball goes into the taff uh, which hasn't happened yet well hopefully that won't be long I always worry with the taff is that it's not a huge far away from the the running track that people run around so it'll be a bit of a terrifying thing for it to come down there so uh, looking forward Agus as I've got you here to the winter it should be an interesting one for England shouldn't it really tough one I can't think there's been a tour or anything like it uh, ever you know that's not an exaggeration we play seven tests back to back on the subcontinent, wow. I mean, that, that's, I don't know quite how that schedule happened. I mean, they're obviously viewing the Bangladesh test matches as, as, as warm-ups for India. But, I mean, that, you don't want to underplay Bangladesh either at home. They're a decent side. And, you know, England are going in there ill-equipped. Ill-equipped, certainly from a spin-bowling perspective. I don't know who's going to do that. Well, Bowen will do it, but, you know, how, how successful he will be. Um, Batting-wise, again, you know, some, some unknowns in there to play in those conditions. And... If India repeat what they did to South Africa last year and ambush them on, on, on some really worn pitches spinning square from the start, then it's going to be really tough. I'll be interested to see if they do. I mean, India are making lots of noises at the moment about uh, you know, loving Test cricket again. So uh, it wouldn't be in, in the interest of Test cricket, frankly, if, uh, if, 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 if the, you know, they're all over in three days on, on, on square turner. So we shall see. But it, it, I can't think there's been a tougher, a tougher winter for England. And then, very lastly, have you been pleased to see the focus and the turnaround? I know we've spoken before about how you would like to see the first-choice players playing in the, in the ODIs at the end of the year. Have you been pleased with the focus that Andrew Strauss and Paul Farbrace and Trevor Bayliss have given to one-day cricket over the last 12 to 18 months? Absolutely, because I think it's crucial. I mean, I think it's crucial for everybody. There's no point putting out a team 
Well, I think it's wrong to put out an England team unless you actually deserve to be playing for a start. I think if you're buying a ticket, you, you expect to see the players that you've bought money to go and see. I think it's crucial. I thought for, for a couple of years there, England just completely lost the plot. I know it's tough. You know, it's a long summer. Well, OK. Uh, you know, you look at the overs bowled down the generations, they're bowling less and less and less. So uh, yeah, I can see why they're doing it, but there's no doubt in my mind that by resting half of our decent players on Australia were last here, it gave Australia a real start for the Ashes that followed, no doubt about that. And I think, you know, there was a disconnect at that time um, on all sorts of reasons for, for England and their supporters. I just think that leaving out half of their decent players was just another disconnect. So, no, it's right. I mean, you only, you're only going to progress at any level of cricket, but I think particularly one-day international cricket, by winning. You know, and, and, and it is, it is a, a very fickle business, one-day cricket. You're up and down, up and down, up and down, and, and string a few wins together and you're away. So I, never, I could never work out why they decided it was, it was a good policy to treat them so lightly. You know, injuries and so on are part of professional sport. You've got to, you've got to cope with them um, and you've got, you've got to pick your best team, full stop. Agus, thank you so much. Very much appreciate you coming and joining us and hopefully we'll be seeing you again in Cardiff very soon. You certainly will. Nice big champion's trophy, of course. Yes. We'll be there. So, to carry on my Test Match special theme, having spoken to the wonderful Jonathan Agnew, I've now got Charles Dagnall. Hello, Daggers. How are you? Hello. I didn't get a wonderful load. Andrew Agger's got a wonderful. I didn't get a wonderful. The next section I'll refer to as wonderful. I don't want to give you a big end. Thank you. No, no, no. Just as a slightly, slightly all right. That'll do me. Not wonderful. So, uh, I noticed in my extensive research for this chat, your, second, your, your last ever game of multi-day cricket was against Glamorgan second eleven. Oh my God, now you know more than I do. I, I try and forget the majority of my career, uh, as most of it was spent looking for balls um, that had been hit off my bowling. But uh, goodness me, was it, where was it? Grace Road, yeah. 2009. I, do you know what? I do remember this. And, and yeah, this was the ill-fated comeback. Uh, basically, I'd retired in 05. Because right, my shins were um, goosed, absolutely goosed in 2005. And, and I had a couple of operations on both. And that set me back two years kind of thing. I was hopeful that I could return, but, but no. So anyway, and, and in 2009, uh, Tim Boone was the head coach of Leicestershire. And I uh, decided that I'd just get a bit fit. I was, you know, I was a big guy. I wanted to get a bit fitter. And I said to him, look, can I come down and have a bowl just to keep fit and bowl against the guys? And he went, yeah, yeah of course you can. Anyway, it turned out that uh, they were so fantastically short, and they would have had to have been. But they'd seen me bowling in the nets, I was bowling all right. So he said, um, can, you, can you play in the Sunday League match against Warwickshire? But you could do with some cricket before that. And I went, yeah, yeah, I, I could really do with that. So they threw me, threw me in against, uh, against Glamorgan at Grace Road on a properly green deck, and it rained a lot. Yeah. I did all right, I think. I think I got about three for, did I get three for? Tufa? Tufa. Tufa. There we go, Tufa. But I remember Josh Cobb caught one of them at first slip. Um, and, uh, and I remember, that, but it was, I mean, as bowlers paradises go, that was up there. And the poor old Glamorgan batsman uh, uh, really didn't stand a chance against anyone, especially bowling filthy dob on a length at about 63 miles an hour. It was just perfect for that. It was like a sticky league wicket uh, at Grace Road. So, uh, so conditions, let me say, in my favour. But then you did play in a Sunday league game after that, just the one. Well, this is the, the story behind that goes that in the 2009 Ashes, uh, Jonathan Trott scored 150 uh, at the Oval to basically win England, the Ashes and that. And what you don't know is who bowled him into form. 
So all the MBEs and things like that and, uh, and awards that are handed out towards the back end of that Ashes series win, actually down to me. I didn't see any awards. There was no there was no accolades for me after bowling in a Sunday league match. Just filthy again. It was. I mean, we got hammered. I was the eldest player, uh, and I think I was what was this? 2009. So I would have been 33. Bota Dipinar was the captain. He pulled out at the last minute. The next eldest was 24, and that was Tom New. And then there was like the average age of the side was about 19. So I felt like a right granddad coming into this side. We got about 150, 160. Jimmy Taylor played, and we were around about 140 short. Uh, and uh, Jonathan Trott knocked them off, and I bowled him into. And all of it, all of my deliveries found the middle of his bat. And then he went to score 150 at the Oval. But did I get any applause or anything like that for helping England win the Ashes? No, I did not. But yeah, I remember that. Goodness me. A grateful nation thanks you. So anyway, I was talking with Agus about Cardiff. Do you have any memories? What's your outstanding memory of coming here and playing in Cardiff? Uh, Bizarrely, I played in... um, I mean, look, it was one of those grounds that never really... I never really did well on. Um, (laughs) You could add that to 17 other county grounds. But... um, it was one of those where, the, 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 when you stood at the River Taff end, the stumps at the other end looked miles away, absolutely miles away. I thought, how am I going to get it to reach here? It was just one of those strange-looking surfaces. But I played, my, the abiding memory was a Sunday league, uh, 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 I think it was Norwich Union League at the time, and Trevor Ward hit 100 for Leicester, and we, we knocked off a total under the lights at, at Cardiff. And obviously, the, the ground has changed. You know, the pavilion was over on the other side when we, when we played there. Um, but he'd lost his mum the, 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 that week. And Trevor Ward was a proper player. He was a serious talent, but, uh, you know, arguably one of the best players that, you know, could have gone on to international uh, level. But he was obviously it affected him you know in a certain way he was emotional about it and he went out and played one of the most brilliant one day innings um, where all of the focus was just on his batting and, and we won the game and obviously the locals didn't exactly take kindly to us winning the game because at one stage you could reach the you know our balcony you could get within sort of swinging distance from uh, from some of the locals sat in front and stuff but I mean it was very good natured in the end but um, that was that's my unbinding memory of, of, of playing here at the Swaylek. Um, you know, of course it's changed so much over the last decade or so, but and, and for the better. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, not not millions of memory, ha- happy memories here, but, but that one really does stick out. So then coming here as a journalist, is it something you enjoy, coming down the M4 to come and cover cricket here? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't live along the M4 uh, corridor, uh, Pete. I, I, I have to go uh, numerous different ways. Let me tell you about them. Um, uh, <laughs> Please don't. No, no, I'm going to. Now you've asked. Uh, no, from Leicestershire, of course, you'd, you'd be going along the M6, uh, the M42, and then, then down the M5. Uh, but I actually saw the train here this time, so there you go. Um, yeah, I do. In fact, it's a really good place to watch cricket. I mean, from the media perspective, we've got this fantastic uh, media centre here. We've got a brilliant view of the ground um, and, and a great spot to commentate from. Uh, a, a top noise uh, from, from the crowd who do come in in their droves to watch international cricket. Um, so it's always, it's always nice to come down here. I mean, look, does it have the history or the, the recognition of an oval or a heading? Of course not, but that is built up over time. Uh, and we as youngsters would have watched games at the traditional Test Match arenas and have more of an affinity to them than here. Um, but it's always a pleasure to come down. Locals are brilliant, always on tip-top form. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, I do really look forward to coming there. Good.
good to know. And then uh, looking forward to this winter, something I asked Agus about from an England point of view. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be a tough one for England? I mean, seven away tests, a whole load of IDIs, all in the subcontinent. Well, I imagine that Agus will probably focus on the test cricket, so I'll have a look at the, uh, the one-day cricket. I think this is a brilliant test for England's one-day side. Now, you consider the form they're in at the moment. Now, Pakistan haven't been brilliant in ODI cricket. Sri Lanka weren't that much of a test as well. Uh, but they're a good unit. And then to go to India to play in front of you know a l- huge crowds, ones at Eden Gardens, I think there's a couple of Bangalore. Um, and in T20 and One Day International Cricket, that's where the people turn up. That's what they look forward to. That's, you know, you're taking on Virat Kohli when the ball's not swinging as much. And, uh, you know, that... That line up there. So I think that the the ODI series and the and the T Twenty series. I'm glad it's three and three. I didn't I didn't think five and one worked particularly well. I still don't. I still think it should be a three and three. Um, but of course, leading up to the Champions Trophy and, and the fifty over longer form uh, in the in the next year in the next summer, you can understand why people are going more towards fifty over cricket. But for me, that's the one. The one day series after January um, is the thing that I'm looking forward to greatly. I think I just got proper proper test, and it also will be a test of the players who have gone out to the IPL and see how their skills are against in India international sides in Indian conditions. So the Billings, the Josh Butlers, the Owen Morgans, the people who are used to playing out there. Um, and also for the bowlers, you know, last time they were in India, they, they got to the final of the World T20, albeit losing on that final over. So I think there's lots to look forward to on that front. And, and yeah, I, th- I think that's going to be a very, very competitive series. Thanks, Tagus. Absolute pleasure. Always a pleasure. So, really pleased to be joined here by John Etheridge of The Sun. Hello, John. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yes. Good, good. So, you've been coming here to Cardiff for a long time now, covering it. Do you have any abiding memories of cricket here in Cardiff? Yeah, I I guess 30 years I've been coming here, on and off, and um, more so recently since it's become a regular international venue. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think... One thing that always strikes me about Cardiff is the is the warmth of the welcome. I mean, it's I think they've they've gone out of their way to make the media and, and no doubt all the spectators will feel particularly welcome. And um, I suppose that started in the um, in the sort of 2009 Ashes Test when Anderson and Panasar held on for that um, for that draw. So that was you know, that was one of the great memories, I suppose. But I think you know, that was a sort of big breakthrough moment for the stadium here. And um, they went out of their way to make people feel welcome, and wanted and want to come back. You know and um, We've been coming back pretty regularly since then and um, always always with a smile. So I think it's a place that we enjoy coming to, actually. So in terms of your thoughts then on England going forward, let's talk about that. How do you, how do you think this side sits as a, both a test side and a one-day side from a test point of view? How do you think this winter's going to go? Obviously a tough assignment with seven tests away. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a really tough winter seven tests in about eight weeks um in what will bound to be you know normal typical i suppose subcontinental conditions certainly when india played south africa at home in the last english winter the pitches were tough the ball turned sharply and the south africans found it very difficult indeed so i, I imagine the conditions will be pretty similar to that and uh, you know england going over there with certainly from, from from the summer here against pakistan you know three of the top five Batting space is very much up for grabs and uncertain, and no real high-class spin bowlers. So I think you know a kind of potential recipe for disaster is have you know, three of the top five um, a bit of a worry in the batting order and no decent spinners. So that's that's a problem. It means that I guess that uh, the likes of Anderson abroad, as far as the bowling is concerned, will have a lot of work to do and uh, to try and stem the flow of runs, which they've done successfully in the past. Of course, England did win there four years ago and they you know Anderson and Board bowled brilliantly in the UAE against Pakistan 
last winter. England lost that series, but Anderson abroad was superb. Stokes and Wokes, of course, will come into it as well. Um, but, you know, the, the, the lack of a high-class spin bowler is a worry. I mean, Moeen, Ali and Adil Rashid, I'm sure, will be on the trip. And the others, you know, probably one or maybe even two. It wouldn't surprise me they take four spins, actually. Uh, from Liam Dawson, probably going to get on, the, on get a gig over there. Maybe uh, Zafar Ansari, although he hasn't sort of been much in the England mix and teams pick up injuries at bad times. And Gareth Batty, I think Gareth Batty's got a chance as well. Reliable, experienced, maybe... Could be a kind of a bit of a father figure to the, some some of the the, the, the younger spinners. So uh, they're contenders, but uh, and, and the batting, you know, hails under uh, under the microscopes. Um, balance probably get the gig, won't he? And um, James Vince, I expect, will not. You know, he had a poor summer at home, didn't he? And then um, I move up at um, up at Lancashire, at age nineteen. I've not seen him play, but you know, he's patient, well organised, and I think uh, I don't think England would have any qualms about picking. A young guy of 19, whether he'll be the only opener, because you know he might freeze on the big occasion. So it might be that they take another opener as well, perhaps Hales or perhaps somebody else, just to, just in case um, he, you know, he doesn't quite um, cut it in Test cricket at the age of 19. Yeah. So do you think there's a chance then that they, rather than picking Hamid to go as well, there's a good chance that they just won't take Alex Hales at all? I think there's a good chance there. I think yeah, there's a chance that they both they could both both possibly go and maybe balance as well. Uh, plus the plus the the, the, usual, the usual other guys, but um, yeah, I and mean, that's you know I think the 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 timing of the the squad is probably going to be put, put back again. They keep moving the the, the date for this, for this selection. It could be late later September now rather than early September. But uh, I think you want to give all the players as much chance as possible to show what they can do in, in the remaining county championship matches. But uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. But uh, I think um, yeah, it'd be quite exciting to see a 19-year-old go, wouldn't it? It'd be great. So do you think then there's a chance then, if someone does make the decision, as much as England have said, if you make the decision not to go to Bangladesh, it won't impact you as far as future selections concerned. Do you think there's a chance with the fact that in essence the Bangladesh tests are going to be warm-ups for India, there's a chance that if someone does decide they're not going to go, that they may be overlooked for the India tour? Yeah, I think that's because there were no warm-up games in India. As you say, those two tests in Bangladesh are the warm-ups for India, then you know, if somebody says, well, I'll go to India, not to Bangladesh, then they turn up in that little four or five day training camp they're going to have in Mumbai before going up to, to, to Raj Kot without any game time. And no, I suppose they perhaps, you know, they could play in a, a local club match or something, but uh, no real game time. So I think, yeah, if somebody said they're not going to go to Bangladesh, but would be prepared to go to India, they're seriously disadvantaged. And, uh, and I Unless it's sort of Joe Root, Alistair Cook, perhaps. I can't see how they're going to get get on the tour, really. And then you're going. Are you more than happy to travel to Bangladesh? Yeah, no, no qualms, no worries whatsoever. I've been there several times in the past. I mean, we've had this sort of thing in the past. Um, going back to India in 2001, a couple of players, of course, didn't go. Robert Croft, who never played for England again, Andrew Caddick, they decided not to go to India um, following the 9-11 attacks. Uh, and then, of course, the bombs in... Um, Mumbai and two terrorist attack in the hotel in Mumbai where England had been staying just a couple of weeks earlier and a lot of their kit was still in storage actually. Um, that uh, was in 2008 and of course we flew home then there was a bit of a kerfuffle and we had a three or four days in Abu Dhabi before going back into into India and play, play those two tests in Chennai and uh, Mohali. So uh, yeah I've got you know I mean I think the players will realise the ones who haven't been through that before the the, the security surrounding them will be Immense. There'll be you know, literally thousands of armed guards, armed troops 
around that they'll try and shut the roads. Um, and uh, it might not be they can just wander out into the, into the streets and, and buy things in the local markets or whatever they want to do, but uh, uh, they will find that the security is, 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 is fast. There's a real sort of ring of steel around the team, and I think they'll be reassured by that. So I think once they get there, they'll, they'll realise that uh, there's not a great deal to worry about. Perfect. Thank you very much, John. Pleasure. Hopefully you guys enjoyed those chats. From a Glamorgan point of view, there's three more championship games left. There's the current match that's going on here in Cardiff between Glamorgan and Gloucestershire. And then they're away to Essex and away to Leicester. They'll be hoping for a positive end to the season and pushing themselves some way up the table. Also, Aniron Donald and Will Bragg are very close to scoring a thousand first class and a thousand championship runs for the season, which will be great for them. I really hope you guys are enjoying the Glamorgan podcast so far and it's something that you're enjoying listening to. My name's Peter Miller. Thank you very much and goodbye.